If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And now for an explosive interview. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to an Explominate Interview Podcast. I am your host, Rob, and joining me today is Drexy. Welcome, Drexy. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going well, man. I'm glad to have you. And today we also have our tactics expert. His name is Jesse. Welcome back, Jesse. I'm oh, sorry, sorry, Jesse. Welcome back, <laughs> Jesse. Thank you very much, Rob. And today we'll be interviewing the illustrious Curious Panda Games. We have Chris and Nick. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, of course. You guys are making... Iron Oath, which is a game that I think we've been talking about here on the show and among the community for some time, it's just been something that's really stuck out. And first of all, because of the amazing pixel art, and I'd really, really like to talk about that later, but also because it's, <laughs> it seems to be kind of incorporating a lot of like old school gameplay mechanics and wrapping up into this like fantasy kind of like Battle Brothers XCOM thing. And I'd really like to kind of hear what you guys, how you guys would describe your own game. So would one of you mind telling me kind of in your own words how you describe the Iron Oath? I think a lot of it has been kind of uh, like kind of Dungeons and Dragons like has been a lot of our inspirations and, and Darkest Dungeon, uh, things like that. Yeah, so it's a turn-based tactical RPG. Uh, it takes place in a dynamic, ever-changing world where there's various factions that are all vying for power. And you basically take the role of a mercenary company and you're traveling throughout the world, pleading contracts for the various factions and earning their favor and building your company's renown. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a pretty good, succinct way of saying it. That's, <laughs> like be, that's, that's better than what I said. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah, so I guess, you know what really stuck out for me is that you guys, you put out a demo for like the last Steam Fest and, you know, I, I've been watching the game and watching its development and kind of, you know, just watching from the outskirts really and getting into that demo and I was just blown away by how well, A, the, 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 the pixel art worked, how great the animations were and then, really honestly how fantastic the combat was it just felt fluid and fun and really great so i'm kind of curious like you say that you got some darkest dungeon and stuff like that in there but like what else has influenced you here with with the iron oath uh, definitely a lot of uh old school uh games I, I used to play a lot of Baldur's gate and and uh i guess a little bit more of a recent game i guess now it's kind of an old one uh, like dragon age is like one of my best one of my favorite games of all time um a, a lot of stuff like that is, is kind of like where i pull a lot of my influence for for the combat dungeons and dragons in general yeah, I think initially uh, we started the, developing the game in 2016, and our initial inspiration was definitely Darkest Dungeon, and and, and then mixed with elements of D and D in terms of storytelling. Yeah, I, th I think like like you'll notice whenever you're playing the game that there's all these like pop up events that just happen, and a lot of those are kind of inspired by like uh, like you know oh roll initiative, and then and then this is what happens, and what do you want to do? So that's kind of like what we're kind of going for with those instead of. Uh, 
so that we can kind of like play the the dm in a way and that, that's that's sort of like how we're trying to tell our story so can we just step back a bit and um, i'm wondering what's your role in uh in the company yeah i'm the uh programmer i do all of the programming and <laughs> the only programmer on the team <laughs> so we blame you for the bugs okay yes <laughs> <you> blame me <laughs> You, you can blame me for not finding them. <laughs> and I'm the I'm the lead artist, and then we also have uh, another guy who did a lot of the animations in the game. Okay, so Nick, you're the the pixel artist here. Yep. Oh wow. Okay, so tell me a little bit more. How like I feel like that's an acquired like skill here because I I know that a lot of people really don't understand how difficult it is to make like really good pixel art. And I'm curious, like, what is your background with that? Prior to the game, my background was basically nothing. Um, <laughs> I, I started basically, I, mean, I started dabbling in like 2015 with a previous project that we were making. And then when we moved on to making the Iron Oath, I you know, started getting a bit more serious about pixel art and just learning on the fly and constantly having to revamp characters as my skills progress and all that. So yeah, it's definitely very time consuming, but uh, we're, we're really happy with how it's all turned out over the years. Yeah, we have a lot of unique pixel art. <laughs> uh, I have a similar question about the uh, the sound design. Like I, I was playing a little bit of the preview version of the game this morning and it was on a snow map and like the, the sound of the characters walk, walking through the snow was so crisp, crisp and realistic. And I personally hate that sound. So it was, you know, it really brought me to that. But, you know, I'm just like, uh, is it, you know, one of you who does that? Or do you have someone outside who's, you know, really creating the, these sound environments? Yeah, it, we, I mean, we're a small team, so we have to use what we can. So we purchased like a sound pack and, but then we kind of customized it to our own needs. And I've been uh, handling all the sound design in the game. Uh, and I, I think it's turned out really well. Um, just kind of like, like we, we just get like a ton of samples. We just have like thousands of them and just been building our own library of sounds for magic and, you know, people getting their heads blown off and, you know, walking in snow. We have something to cover everything. I was, I was going to say, normally I'm, I'm quite hit or miss in regards to sound in games. You know, frequently I'll, I'll play on mute, but uh, Iron Oath sound has really, you know, effectively drawn me in and has been very enjoyable. So cool. Yeah, it's good to hear because, I mean, it's we were really contemplating early on whether or not we needed a sound designer. We were talking with a couple of people but you know as soon as chris started doing the sound effects and you know layering all these samples together it turned out really well and we decided we could just do it ourselves <laughs> yeah i find it really awesome how small companies like yourselves can like kind of figure out ways to you know fill in the gaps right and and create like roles for each other or like take on roles that you may normally not have like i, I don't know if chris like you've been somebody who's actually been into sound design but it's cool that you kind of like stepped up and took took that on no not really <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another another learning on the job uh, yeah we we definitely all have multiple hats on developing this game <laughs> yeah yeah so that was really cool I, I was gonna talk to you now that you guys also are headed into early access right so i mean what is that like for you i mean i i, I from what i gathered and maybe you guys can correct me but as a curious panda you guys are this is your first game right so like i imagine there's a lot of anxiety <laughs> i don't want to like judge up too much here but like i imagine there's some anxiety here like going into early access for the first time ever yeah i mean we, we did like a little hobby game like uh oh god i guess at this point it's been about a decade ago right uh it was like a rhythm uh shooter shoot 'em up bullet hell game but uh so we've done that and, and i've worked on triple a games in the past but this is definitely the first like big game that 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 we've owned and is is actually a big deal it's not just like a side thing or or whatever yeah it's something that we both wanted to make like the the rhythm game was something we started together 
shortly after we met and it was initially chris's idea and yeah, i just I was, said I, I, oh, hey I i'll do the art yeah. for this game yeah and i was then... already like <laughs> most of the way into development like hey you can you do the art for me <laughs> <laughs> i think i was posting in our guild chat i was like hey does anyone know can anyone do art <laughs> anyone want to help me make a game <laughs> yeah so about early access you I mean there's definitely definitely some nerves i mean uh, the previous game you know we had no expectations to do well with it we're just releasing it for fun but now it's something you know we uh we've spent the last what is it now six years on and yeah. it's been a bit a good chunk of our life so a <laughs> little, little nervous is yeah. definitely some some anxiety but we're hopeful to that we'll do well and be able to continue developing the game yep yeah, we have, for we have a lot hopefully of awesome years to come for, for early access and beyond. So, Nick, um, I really love the art in the game. What's your What's your background in uh, well, art? Have you done art for previous games, just as a hobby, or went to college or university? Um, I haven't done anything uh, education-wise. I I've done a lot of graphic design, like ever since I was probably like ten years old. I would, you know mess around in Photoshop and make abstract graphics and all that. So, I did a lot of graphic design, and then. My first uh, time making, I guess, game art was when we made Rhythm Destruction back in 2009 or whatever it was. And then started doing pixel art in 2014, then started seriously, actually, sorry, 2015, and then started seriously doing it in 2016 with the Iron Oath. So I don't have a huge background, but like, fortunately, pixel art is kind of something I feel you don't really need an art background. It's just a lot of uh, just a lot of practice and study. Okay, that actually gives me hope because it's something that I've always really appreciated, right? Because I've, you know, I'm, I'm almost I'm in my late 30s now. So I grew up with the, you know, the the Nintendo and Super Nintendo generation and a good pixel art just really gets me going, especially when it's as well done as you guys have done. Like, Nick, I mean, my hat's off to you. But like, I, it just really, I feel like it's timeless in a way, right? Like you can, I could come back to this game in 10 years and it would still look good to me because it was you know it's still it's going to always encompass that look and i feel like it's a timeless look if you're saying that people can pick this up i might start <laughs> i might start trying my hand at this because i think it's it's awesome yeah nick kind of nailed it from the beginning like, like we could show you some of our very early uh pixel art and it, it, there's definitely st places that we've that, that he's improved on but uh it, it was it was looking pretty good from the start i think you were getting compliments on your time lapse videos on youtube like four years ago or something yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the very early stuff was pretty rough, but, you know, once I got down the flow of how I design all the characters, it kind of established a, our, our style and all that, and it's, it's turned out well. So um, I have a few questions about sort of like the, the, the game design. Uh, and actually, actually, I'm kind of curious, um, who, who all on the team is sort of like driving some sort of some of the more systematic decisions? Um, is it like a shared role or... Uh, is do, do one of you ha does is one of you wearing that as your primary hat? It's been pretty shared, I would say. I mean, uh, Nick has carried a little bit more of the the, the story driven stuff, the narrative. Uh, but as far as the just like systemic stuff, quite a lot of it has been us uh, just kind of spitballing stuff on Discord, going back and forth, and in in, in a couple documents in our uh, Google Drive, we would be like, all right, let's both come up with our own independent thing uh, for what we want this thing to be, and then we'll collaborate and see like take the best of ideas of both and kind of combine and go back and forth until we get what we like with that that sounds great if i was ever on a game design team i would hope a very similar sort of thing rather than it being pigeonholed to one person so you know i have a bunch of questions about the game design like you know i'm very interested in you know how you've come to some of the come to and you know what's been important but like one of them that is you know particularly stands out for me and is something that i always look for when i'm you know diving into a game particularly ones with you know an rp style development which you know iron Earth definitely has is like what are your thoughts about the length of the character development versus the overall length of the game like some games will have it so you know you're developing a character 
And by the time you reach the end of the game, you're about the end, at the end of you know making real you know significant decisions about your character. Sometimes you know you'll end the game and you'll still have some to make. And you know sometimes you you finish developing your character and then you know you still have like you know five, ten, or more hours to go through content and stages and such. Like where do you see Iron Oath sitting on that? And you know how did you come to that? Yeah, um, the time scale is definitely something tricky. Like we initially kind of imagined the game as taking place over like centuries in a typical playthrough, but you know we quickly realized that uh, your characters would be aging incredibly fast. You can only have them for a couple missions for in order for that to work. So we had kind of had to scale things back a little bit, and, and uh, I think probably now the goal is to maybe go through about two generations of characters in an average playthrough. And I think by the time you get to the end game, you know, uh, like right now we have about 15 hours of content, it, and it takes. Uh, again, <laughs> let me think here. Probably, probably takes about one hour for one year to pass, and so I mean, in a typical playthrough, you probably won't have any of your characters get to the retirement age at the moment. But like the, the definitely the end goal is to go through multiple generations of characters, and then have uh, you know events that those characters. Uh, took part in like come back later in the story in some way like one thing we want to do is have an affinity or we do have an affinity between characters but one thing we want to do is have them form relationships eventually have children and they could come back as uh their children would come back later on and you could interact with them and recruit them to your company so when a typical typical character enters the point where they're retiring um are they going to be like fully fleshed out fully developed or you know are you still going to have like choices to make when when they reach that Uh, right now they'll be kind of fully developed i mean like it's definitely like a uh a steep curve once you hit like level 10 or so to to getting like higher level characters and um, at that point they're going to be pretty fleshed out and um, you're going to uh, you're going to be trying to trying to think like this way to describe it. Sorry, <laughs> it, it gets very uh, I don't know. Do you want to jump in <laughs> late game yeah, I mean, uh, descriptions? Yeah, I mean there is a, like a kind of a soft level cap at at ten, but you can go up to twenty. Um, I think uh, right now, like most recruits you get or uh, levels are are at a young age. So by the time they real they retire, they'll likely be close to level cap. We actually haven't played tested long enough in one single playthrough to really see what the average would be because we kind of yeah. have to restart a lot during the yeah, playtest. Yeah, we have to restart quite a bit. <laughs> like, oh, we, we've rebalanced everything now that we have to just delete all of our saves and play for another 20 hours. <laughs> it's hard to find time to, to, to do that sometimes. Well, that's, you know, that's a good thing about early access. You're going to be able to sort of uh, discover this with the players themselves. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're kind of hoping early access will help drive some of our decisions because like while we have plans and we have certain things already in place, um, a lot of that will, will kind of be like what, what happens in early access will help us figure out like where we want to take the end game because right right now we're kind of balanced right now towards the like early mid game and then we'll be fleshing out the end game as early access continues yeah yeah late game is definitely something we're gonna have to keep an eye on uh just see how people are are progressing with their companies if things are too easy or too hard or you know hopefully not floating at ten thousand gold at one point but <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> something we'll need to keep an eye on for balance and constantly yeah. tweak and get feedback from everyone 
So going into early access, I mean, do you guys have a plan as far as like, you know, like you're a rough plan, I should say, because I know nothing ever goes to plan, but do you guys have an idea of like kind of like your schedule as far as like content updates and stuff like that? Are you looking to do something quarterly or monthly or something like that? Or do you just kind of want to see how you know production goes and, and get it out there as soon as you feel like it's ready? Yeah, we have like our first like major update pretty locked in and, and I'm already kind of working on parts of that, adding like a new our next character class and, and things like that. And I think we have a roadmap that we're putting out. Is that when is that, Nick? Is that next week? Early next? Yeah, we're, we I think we're putting it out with the launch. Okay. I'll have to double check. But yeah, we, we're basically detailing the first three major updates and then kind of also going over what else people can expect over the course of various updates. So that we're basically aiming to do a major update every two to three months. And then the first one, uh, I guess I can talk about it a bit, is because I already have, <laughs> is going to be adding a seventh class to the game. And it's also going to be adding a bit more um, uh, substance, I guess, to the to the whole Scourge and kind of more adding more consequences to that that the player can interact with. Now, what can you tell us about like the general story of the game? Because I know that it, the demo kind of gave you like a glimpse of like what we're up against and sort of like the maybe like hints of the big bad. But like, are you able to tell us a little bit more about what what players can expect as far as their involvement and in, in what they're up against here? So the main story as it stands right now is basically centered around your company the over there is like an overarching story that will be getting fleshed out later but as it stands right now like the the scourge itself is kind of just like a, a you know a common occurrence in the world and it's not something that you know citizens are expecting you to immediately take care of right away yeah, yeah. right now we're, we're kind of focusing on like, like originally we had like like the, the this idea that you know it was going to be a, you know a dragon age thing where you're going and saving the world but we kind of want to like refocus some of our ideas on your more of like small town adventures uh, with like maybe some ramifications you know across the regions and, and with kings and stuff but it's more focused on like like just your company and yeah, it's more, uh, more of a focus you know. on your story not necessarily your story of saving the world yeah it's not like final <laughs> fantasy you know you're gonna be fighting like god at the end of every uh campaign <laughs> yeah i mean that being said we do have uh like we have a lot of we're basically calling them like mini campaigns which will kind of like flesh out uh different aspects of the game's lore so you know the dragon would be one of those although i guess that probably wouldn't classify it as a mini campaign because it's a bit of a larger experience but you know things like various factions of the world like the ancient factions that exist would have all their own mini campaigns yeah, that, that's that's one thing we're we're hoping to really flesh out in, in early access as well. Is we've got uh, the plan is to not just have like there's one story that you play from beginning to end, and that's the campaign. It's like our, our initial campaign. We've almost in a way kind of thought as as like a tutorial. It's obviously way more than that. But sorry, can you hear my dog? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let, me, let me restart that. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh. I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? I was like, it, it, it sounded like a pup or something. <laughs> he's, he's very. He's a very old dog. You know, you're, you're talking about uh, how the initial campaign was going to be almost like a tutorial campaign, right? right yeah. yeah. So, like, we've almost thought of the uh, the campaign as the initial campaign as a tutorial. It's obviously like way more involved than that, but that's kind of like how we've thought of it because we, we kind of want you to also be able to ignore it if you want to. Like, you don't have to do the campaign. I mean, like right now in early access, I would expect most people to because that's kind of like the meat of what we have there um, as far as like a driving force in the game. But eventually, what we want is is like like without giving too much away you know it, it there's like 
a vengeance tale being told uh, for, for that campaign. We, we kind of want you to eventually just to be like, I'm just going to ignore that. I'm going to go do something else. I don't care about getting revenge. And then you can go out and you can find like a thieves guild and they've got like a campaign that's like three to five quests long. Or you go find like like a trader's uh, guild that they've got some quest they want you to do that takes you on like several adventures. So that's kind of like where we want to eventually be is where there's like five to ten of these, you know, campaigns. I don't know the exact number, but something like that where you're going on these on these little like arcs that are like like D style like little mini campaigns yeah it's a lot like uh like skyrim or elder scrolls games right. basically where there's you know they have the main story but you know I, th- I think like half the people that play that game probably don't even touch the main story because there's a lot of other more interesting quests to focus on and you know doing all the the thieves guild and uh the brotherhood quests and all that stuff <laughs> yeah actually i was gonna say that it, feel, it sounds a lot like skyrim because i almost i never i don't think i ever beat the game because i did the same thing right there's i think the side quest made the, or even the witcher 3 right like those games that right. have these like extremely large worlds but the the side quests end up being way more you know at least somewhat more interesting than the main deal but i'm also getting some vibes of wildermyth i don't know if you guys have tried that it's a recent kind of like indie darling but you guys talk about like separate campaigns and a lot of the stuff that you guys talk about with character development and stuff like that, especially when you talk about like legacy characters and stuff like that. I, I start to feel like Wildermuth vibes and I, I don't know if you guys, if you are familiar with that game, but it's really well liked. So I think yeah. you know, it's, it's on my wish list. Maybe I'll pick it up when I have a break here uh, yeah. as, as a reward for myself for, for yeah. launching a game. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys are, have a very similar idea because it's again, another indie company too, that's doing that. But yeah, I love that idea of, you know, you guys had mentioned before with like some of the legacy characters, some of your like progeny coming into the, the campaign later and like being a part of the mercenary guild. And I think that's, that's such a cool idea. Yeah. Like we definitely, want uh you know handling your your character's affinity for one another to be a, a pretty big factor in the game like forming parties where people like each other otherwise um otherwise you know your your mission will unravel in terms of uh, party morale and stuff like those systems are like in the game like a uh, kind of talked about it the other day on discord but like affinity uh or sorry, morale and affinity are there, but they're not totally fleshed out yet. And it's definitely something we want to, you know, uh, improve upon and enhance and get all these various things like progeny and stuff into the game based on yeah. that. Yeah, I think right now uh, that there's some stuff with affinity where if someone uh, dies and uh, you know someone else is in the party that, that that hated that person, they'll just like be like, oh, pathetic or whatever. You know, they'll just like like give them like a, a quip about how much they hated that person anyway or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> fleshing it out into to more than just uh, like little dialogue interactions is definitely uh, something we're, we're going to explore quite a bit in early access. Uh, would this have any sort of like you know permanent re- repercussions in the character? Like I, you know, you have a trait system. System that is uh, reminiscent of Darkest Dungeon, and you know it would be really cool if you know if someone that you really liked or really hated died, and it sort of like changed how the character interacted with the world and you know the rest of the group. Yeah, once we start uh, like something tied to morale will be temporary traits. So once we start adding that in, um, that'll definitely be something like if uh, if two characters are really close friends and one of them dies, the other character might get a temporary depressed trait or something like that, that, uh, you know, makes them less effective in combat or not wanting to participate in combat at all for a certain period of time. Yeah, no, that, that sounds great. I'm really excited to see that. Um, you also, there's also another, uh, you know, part of the game that is inaccessible at the moment, the council, uh, I think it was called, I could be misremembering. Yeah. Uh, could you, do you mind uh, talking a little bit about what you intend to do with that? Yeah, it's basically, um, if you're familiar with Crusader Kings, two i guess crusader kings two and three but for us it was crusader kings two um 
basically how you have your council, you have your uh, your spy master who can perform all these different tasks for you, like go and sabotage relations and all that. So that was kind of the inspiration for our council. Uh, so basically, you have your own spy master who can do all these different things to kind of influence politics within the world. And then you have an emissary who can help build your relations with the various factions. And then you have your battle master who helps like specialize and train your troops in certain ways. So if you wanted to like learn certain traits or remove negative traits, your Battlemaster helps do that. No, that, that sounds really, really cool. And actually it, it naturally leads into the next thing that I'm like really curious about is, you know, th there's been lots of things that you've mentioned here that talks about that uh, indicate the level of impact interaction you have on the world. And I'm wondering like, how much are you going to be changing? You know, are you going to just be able to like, you know, shift the city of events or, you know, how individual groups relate with, you know, some of, you know, a lot of this may be out of the scope, but I'm just like wondering like, you know, how dynamic is the world and how much are you going to be able to change it through your decision, you know, how you move the campaign? Yeah, there's like, um, there's a few things in right now that, that you can already do. Um, again, like I hate saying, you know, it's, just, it's another thing we're going to be elaborating more on early access, but that is the point of early access. <laughs> but you know, like if there's a, if there's wars going on in the world, you can go and visit uh, one of the kingdoms and they can give you quests uh, like to go and uh, assassinate the heir of um, of the rival faction. And if you do that, it, you, you'll get like a notification that you've like shifted the tides of war. And, and we're kind of like tracking these stats behind the scenes for like, you know, like, like, a, like a, a war score uh, for all these different nations. And by doing quests in one region, you're kind of helping e each other uh, or helping one faction over the other. So you can kind but you can kind of tilt it in their favor. You're never going to be like, you know, since you're just a small company, you're not going to be like charging into the main battle and, you know, winning some big battle in that respect. But yeah, you're, you're more just like helping one side over the other. Yeah, you're basically performing the job of like a small strike force doing little little tasks for the company. It's like, oh, we need you to go uh, disrupt supply lines of these guys or perform a raid on this on this important tower or something like that. Yeah, and then you can see like your reputation with these factions. And then if you if you try to go into the region of that neighboring faction, they might send like a bounty hunter or assassins after you. Uh, so you'll see sort of like the direct repercussions of, of what you've been doing uh, in, in that way. Yeah, or you can also just run into their uh, patrols. And right. if you're enemies with them, they'll just attack you on site. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I love that idea that, you know, you know, even though you're a small mercenary group, you're you're able to have like, you know, almost worldwide you know, effects on things. I mean, I, I it almost works that way here now, too, in like real world. You know, it's sometimes you have little mercenary groups that are able to change the yeah, tide of war. So. Seal right. Team 6. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's what you are. <laughs> well, so, I, you know, I'm curious because you mentioned earlier that you're aiming for, you have about 15 hours of content right now. And I'm just curious, like, where's the aim? Are you guys looking for something that's almost like endlessly playable or are you looking to you know, cater to something more along the lines of like a 40 to 60 hour campaign? Yeah, I mean, we, we have like, like we, even when we say like 15 hours of content, it's, it's more like 15 unique hours of, of, of unique content where like, like authored stuff. Uh, and but it is all endlessly playable. And there's like a lot of quests that uh, have like, you know, variables that tweak depending on like, what events are happening in a region or who's at war uh, so that even if you get the same quest it, in, in some ways, it'll be like slightly different. Um, and then we also have the other ones that are the more authored like quests that you'll do once sort of like the, the main campaign. Yeah. We basically have like unique quests and then dynamic quests, which can be repeated. And then there's the campaign quests. So the dynamic quests are kind of like, um, I guess, I'll mention it again, like in Skyrim, uh, where they have, I think it's called like radiant quests where they just continuously spawn 
but they're like kind of slightly different every time. But yeah, as far as your your, your other question though, I, I would say like forty to sixty hours is kind of like what we've been kind of saying all along is like kind of where we want. Like if someone were to just play all of the core content and they wanted to get the core experience, that yeah, like forty to sixty hours, I think is probably like where we're 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 hoping to land. And then for the other crazy people like us and and you know whatever, put a thousand hours into it if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm, unfortunately, and as we we spoke before, and I've got kids. <laughs> So like, I think <laughs> 60 hours is about as long as I can put into a game, but that's great. I, I think that's a perfect time frame. And I'm, you know, I'm curious too, like as far as your like workflow pipeline goes, like where is the biggest bottleneck for you guys? I know you guys are a small group, but I mean, I've heard for the most part, usually it's like the art pipeline that, that creates the, the, the biggest bottleneck. But for you guys, is that kind of where it is or is it writing? I mean, what would you say is taking the longest or what would create the biggest you know hurdle for creating new content for you guys? Art's definitely a big one. Um, writing is actually probably the least of a bottleneck. Uh, like the writing we have in the game right now um, is probably only about one or two months worth. Like really, the the bulk of uh, the work towards the writing was the the yarn system that Chris set up for making all of our quests. So there's like a lot of a lot of stuff we can, or a lot of really cool stuff we can do with it for like various various. Uh, triggers and all that stuff to, to you know make quests yeah, really feel cool <laughs> yeah we're, we're using this uh tool that was originally designed for uh oh what is that game called uh, night in the woods uh, you know have you heard of that game yeah, yeah 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 they have this tool called yarn for creating like all their dialogue systems in the game and it it, it somehow just so happened that the tool was like perfect for us for setting up our quests and our dialogue and our scripted events and stuff like that so we kind of adapted that and it's like super easy for us to like iterate on content. Like we can like very quickly um, uh, put out new quests and and new events. Like it, especially like one off events where it's just like oh you've stumbled into a room and there's a skeleton and he's doing this and that. What do you want to do? Like if it was just like a you know just like a pure dialogue thing, like we can create those in like minutes. And and one of the cool things also is we're going to give these tools out with the game. So I'm hoping a lot of people will want to make their own uh, campaigns and quests and stuff. That'll be really fun to, to, to kind of see develop from the community. Yeah, I think just a lot of, a lot of the work was just getting to that point where the yarn would, the yarn program was developed enough for us to, to do all these things. But now that we're there, we can really pump out a lot of a lot of quests. And, you know, with every update we do in early access, they're going to be adding more quests. So there's going to be constantly more content being sprinkled in. So it sounds like um, you guys are um, going to allow modding for the game. Let's say if you're, if you're giving uh, users access to these tools. Right. Yeah, we, we have, uh, um, like, kind of early on, I decided I'm not going to, like, encrypt anything, like, all of our game files, well, other than the ones that are, like, inside of Unity, just because I can't have control over some of that stuff. But, like, everything that we're, like, reading in externally from uh, the drive is is stuff that is just like loose files so people can go in and change like there's like tons of images there's all of our like configuration files you can add new weapons add new items add new injuries you tweak the injuries what is a lot of the systemic stuff also is driven through variables that are in there so uh, people can can kind of just like play around with it and modify the game quite a bit so i know this might be out of your scope but would it be possible to make ever have you considered multiplayer and allowing players to make their own sort of modules to play between with friends yeah I, I think like early on we, we we threw around some ideas to make like your own like 1v1 uh where you both pick your own parties and stuff and go at it but yeah it, it probably just too far beyond our scope you know maybe if we sell a million copies we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll reevaluate <laughs> but right now yeah multiplayer is, is a bit too much actually our previous game we were going to make before this one was going to be a multiplayer game and then 
pretty quickly while prototyping, we we're like, ah, maybe this is a little bit beyond us right now. <laughs> we probably need a bigger team than two people. <laughs> yeah, making it making a pure purely multiplayer game is always a risk because you know if you don't have a big enough community, you're gonna you're gonna have problems <laughs> yeah. with keeping uh, keeping it alive. So making definitely making a single player game was the safer choice. But it, yeah, we have also talked about yeah, like Chris said, just doing like a one v one arena type thing as a possibility in the future. But like I think any like multiplayer where you're playing through the actual game itself probably is too far outside the scope. <laughs> yeah, I mean. If you do check out World of Myth, it, it does it really well where it's more of a carp rather than versus each other. You're uh, yeah. playing as a carp and it's just a cool little game to play with your friends. Just an yeah. idea. So everyone go out and buy this game so I can get this feature, please. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it would be neat to like, you know, have one person lead the, the company and then whenever you go into a dungeon, play, playing with four friends, you have one person control one character and you're all performing different actions and then yelling at each other for doing something stupid <laughs> yeah exactly so uh the, the the classes that you have in the game right now are all have you know very distinct and you know very interesting skill sets um and i actually I, I really really like how you have sort of like adapted and deepened some of the character building that you see in darkest dungeon and sort of like you know really implemented well and you know more or more of a tactical space so, but what I'm curious about is, so, you know, you have these six, you know, very distinct, very divine roles. Uh, I've heard that you're planning on, you know, maybe 10 total classes by the time the early access ends. Um, so what, I mean, obviously you can't talk about specific classes now, but like what other sort of like additional roles and, you know, additional thought is going into, you know, your design and development of these classes that you want to roll out? Yeah, I was going to say like, um, we I think we've probably said it publicly before for the other what the other classes are going to be. Yeah, um, I think we. Yeah, but... you could definitely look at our Kickstarter uh, early things. I think we detailed uh, all the classes we'll have and, and then some. <laughs> yeah, we are we are shooting right now to get at least ten by the end of early access. So that would be the Ice Binder, the Executioner, the Mystic, and a Bard class, the Balladeer. Yeah. So definitely, I, I, I have I have to say, my original idea for the Bard, his name was going to be a Bardbarian, but uh, <laughs> was, wasn't down with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the Pyrolancer was our one pun. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the I, you guys have come up with great character class names, by the way. Just so you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm we, a big fan of the the Pyrolancer. Yeah, I think that was like one of our first ones that, that we yeah. saw. <laughs> and then beyond those ten classes, we actually have. Uh, designs for another 10 so we, we have actually might even more that might, might be 21 or 22 but a couple of those need would need to be updated because we've changed combat quite a bit since uh since that time but definitely have a lot of different types of classes to bring in like um the beast master i think is one that we would like to get in so you can spawn or summon pets and stuff like that and then the necromancer would fill a similar role where you can raise skeletons so there's definitely uh, still a lot more i guess space for unique classes to to go into the game and one of the things we've tried to do also is not take quite a like direct route from like we need a warrior class we tried to like put our own spin on it like like how the pyrolancer is he's supposed to be basically our fire mage but we, we thought it'd be fun to have our fire mage be like an up close like dps guy yeah and we also didn't really want to uh, kind of pigeonhole each class into one specific role so that's kind of where like the ability trees come into play where once you get to the end of an ability tree it really kind of changes the way uh, it functions so you could kind of turn 
what may be an initially like a damage dealing class and turn them into like some type of healer based yeah, on how you upgrade even, your characters and even based the on pyromancer yeah even like the pyromancer i think some of his in-game uh, upgrade tree paths have some stuff to like uh, not heal but to like apply like like damage, damage shields, shields yeah. and things like that so you can kind of take any class in, in a direction a little bit in one way or the other as far as like support or offense yeah i uh i've, I've spent a quite a, quite a bit of time looking at the trees and how the characters have developed based on them and you know, it's really, uh, I think it's really cool how, you know, you, you put that together and, you know, just, you know, the pace at which you are unlocking, you know, individual perks and then additional abilities really allows for some, you know, really meaty, interesting decision making as you're developing your team. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, um, uh, in terms of, like, our class design, definitely, like, uh, Darkest Dungeon was one thing, but, like, another thing, at least for me, when we were designing, like, I guess Chris mentioned it earlier in, uh, in the interview, how we both kind of did our own separate things and came up with different abilities for for the classes and how we thought they would uh how they thought how we thought they should work but like for me when i was designing uh my stuff like league of legends characters were kind of a big inspiration like just kind of their unique identities and and the types of abilities they have and you know they have big big impacts on the battlefield and it's more than just uh, a basic basic single target attack that does damage and then that's it but we really, we really wanted to have a different different uh I guess a wide variety of abilities that did different functions on the yeah, battlefield. We, yeah, we we tried to to avoid too many of the ones that's like this attack is just like a single target just does damage. Like most of them have like some sort of extra thing uh, as far as like debuffs, buffs, or like it pushes the target away or pulls them towards you or ends their turn or you know some, something along those lines. Yeah, I really love that about the game. A lot of the abilities uh, you have to make. It, this is where the tactical part of the game is, where you have to sort of position yourself to be able to hit people with these um more than one target and stuff like that. who designed the like the monk type class because i absolutely love that i can't remember who i think, who, who, who I think it was it. probably a collaborative effort like we we wanted we wanted a monk and uh yeah was, <laughs> I, I mean i designed the visuals for it and it was kind of uh kind of inspired by like basically a dragon ball z character like his battle instinct is basically super saiyan <laughs> yeah yeah, and he's got a lot of moves to uh, teleport around the battlefield to like change his positioning and stuff. Is that that was another focus that we wanted to do on combat was like we have attacks of opportunity in the game, like Dungeons and Dragons, where like you can't move outside of your combat range without taking an, an attack from the enemy. So we wanted every ability, every character to have their own abilities that can sort of like get out of that and yeah it was really fun coming up with, with with that class so that he can you know jump over them to get to the other side or he can teleport to the side and, and change his position and push them away but yeah that one's a fun class to play around with so I, i've noticed that you like you know the bulk of the battles that you see in the the continent that i've seen so far have been you know four versus four battles so there's a few where you know you have like larger enemy groups or waves and how much variety are you expecting to have in that in the final game are there going to be like these huge battles where you bring in more than four of your own people or is it mostly going to be you know this sort of like core four versus four experience it's, you're mostly going to have four there's a couple i think there's a couple already and there's there's that one fairly early on where you get two extra uh of the vanguard troops to join you and we're going to have a lot more of those where you get some extra troops and in those battles in particular you'll probably be up 
um, uh, up against much larger numbers of enemies, uh, but not nothing like crazy, like eight to ten probably is, is where you'll get. But also as you progress through the game and you get to the like three, four, and five skull difficulty dungeons, uh, you'll be fighting up uh, against, uh, I can't remember the exact number of how high it gets up to off the top of my head, uh, but you're already in those battles fighting eight or nine people sometimes too. You know, that, that sounds great. You know, I, I really love uh, being able to test myself against large number of enemies. You know, lots of abilities and, you know, quite a few of the character classes that are naturally suited to fighting these larger groups. And so I was, you know, really hoping that these abilities would get a chance to shine. Yeah, once you get to those later difficulties and the, the enemy quantity ramps up, you really got to think ahead of, of how you're going to employ all your skills to efficiently mop up all these enemies. Otherwise, you're going to get overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, you have to take a, a lot of uh, care in where you're positioning your troops to like knock people into pits so that it stuns them or knock them into a wall or uh, or getting like in a flanking position. So because uh, like right now, like you, there's like an accuracy uh, check that happens in whenever you're doing your basic attack. But if you're flanking them, then you have 100% 100% chance to hit. So especially in those late game dungeons, you have to really make sure you're flanking all the enemies. But then the enemies are also trying to flank you. So it, you can't just like run into the middle of, of everybody so it, it's yeah, definitely a, a lot of tactical things you have to consider there's a, there's a lot of small little layers that add up to your success so you know as, as long as you're utilizing all that stuff you'll be able to to beat the higher difficulties yeah no that sounds amazing i'm, I'm really excited to you know get to those and you know see what else you're going to be rolling out uh through the course of early access and actually that naturally leads into this next question which is uh we know you know speaking to our listeners what would you say is going to be the biggest difference between you know what the game is like right now as it's released in early access and what it's going to look like when it hits final release i guess i mean i i guess i would just say the main campaign um yeah a lot of it will kind of be just fleshing out and like more i, I would yeah. say probably what i would say is is <laughs> more of there will be more yeah more <laughs> of everything more quests more character classes like that's kind of like what we're really hoping to do a lot like every single one of our updates that we're doing we're planning on pushing out um, more quests and more of these uh, scripted encounters that happen during dungeons and in the overworld. And that's like a big focus of a lot of it is kind of just so that you, you never kind of see the same thing happen um, in, in a typical play session. Like we want just like a ton of stuff for the game to be able to pull from. And uh, I think a lot of that is where you'll notice big changes uh, from when we launch to, to later. Um, I mean, obviously like the, like we were talking earlier about the, the council, like that's like a huge feature that that, that will uh, change up the game quite a bit. And then also like in-game stuff, like we were talking about earlier, like a lot of the in-game will probably change uh, later as we get towards the end of early access. Well, gentlemen, I, this all sounds really good. I mean, I, I think this again, like I said before at the, the beginning, this the onset of this interview, I said that you know, a lot of us have been watching this one really, really closely. And, you know, as, as we finally edge towards early access, I know we're going to be talking about it more, but I really, I know that you guys are super busy. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to talk to us about Iron Oath. And, you know, if there's anything that you guys want to say before we leave, like anything maybe that you want to let our listeners know about why they should buy your game, except for why, you know, other than Drexy's hope for multiplayer, is there, <laughs> are there any other, uh, you know, kind of like calls to action you guys want to throw out there? I, this has just been like our dream project. Like this is something I've been always wanting to do since I was little, like make a big game like this. So I just, I really hope everybody picks it up and, and checks it out and gives it a shot. And uh, you know, I, I think that they're going to like it. Yeah. I mean, just more people that get the game, you know, the more free you can get and just ultimately make it into uh, an experience that uh, we'd all like to play for hundreds of hours if possible. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds great to me. I, I, I'm for me, I'm very excited. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that it, 
picks up like I think it will. I, I generally, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that I like I'm some sort of like game whisperer or anything, but like the few <laughs> times that I feel really strongly about a game, it feels like they like somehow they like eventually pick up like Wildermyth. I interviewed those guys way before anyone knew about them. In fact, that's why Jesse joined us because I guess I was one of the first first people like as Explominate, we were the first people to interview the the team behind that that game. And now it's, you know, sold billions of copies and they're doing way better than they ever expected. So maybe <laughs> I'm not saying we have that power, but maybe we'll, maybe we we'll just be glad to follow in their footsteps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah, but yeah, again, I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day and we wish you the best of luck and early access and through early access and maybe we can catch up with you as you get closer to 1.0 and, and kind of see where the future of Iron Oath might be. Yeah, man. Sounds great. Yep, for, for sure. Thank, yeah, yeah, thanks excellent. for thanks for taking taking the time to interview us, and really appreciate it. And thanks for your support as well on just you know publishing the, the videos that you did and all that. Absolutely, yeah, no, it's great stuff. So I'm really excited. So this was Rob, Drexy, Jesse, Nick, and Chris for Explominates. Until next time, keep exploring. Ah.